This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. I did a good job. <laughs> Fantastic. Start over. Doctors and scientists have fallen on hard times. Experts are facing a crisis of trust, and we think technology is a major factor. We explore why today on Device and Virtue. Welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. We're coming to you from, as always, Chicago. I'm Adam. And I'm Chris. Hey, Adam, today we are talking about the rise and fall of the expert. The expert? The expert, like doctors, professors, scientists. Mm. They're experts. I have a whole theory. They're (laughs) <laughs> They're experts, but are they? <laughs> no, no. I have a whole theory that I decided to bring along today about us not trusting experts. I don't trust experts. Okay. I don't well, trust you. Right. You claim to be an expert. <laughs> I do not trust you. And the reason that some people are struggling to trust experts is all because of technology. It all comes back to technology. <laughs> I really think it does. I love a good theory. I love technology, so I'm curious to hear what you have to say about experts. Okay. I mean, and this is definitely going to be one where we just bumble along. (laughs) Because (laughs) because I've, this is, Uh, such, such promise. This is baked, but as they say, halfway. (laughs) Oh, man. So, no, no, no. Here's the idea. It's my side is fully baked. Yours is not baked at all. (laughs) It started with TikTok. (laughs) It started with TikTok, really? It always does. Where all good things start. Like, Every good um, trend starts on TikTok. No, like, so, days. you know, you're just scrolling through TikTok. And I know during the pandemic, which somehow lasted an entire another year. Yeah. <laughs> happy, yeah. happy New Year, by the way. Right. And, you know, I say the pandemic because on my TikTok feed, I'll have the normal things. I have people singing songs. I like a lot of people like doing harmony things. Yeah. A year then, ago, it was sea shanties. Remember that? Oh, But one of the TikTok things I like is this woman who is a little older, but she's really warm and engaging. And you scroll up and you flip to her and she answers questions about COVID. Okay. And like she answers people. So, so obviously it's misinformation at this point. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, it's TikTok on COVID. And you're like, what? But she is a professor. She is a, actually says she has two PhDs, one in like molecular Ooh. biology, I think. And in like, I don't know, one in infectious disease or something. But she used to teach. She's retired, but she makes a really great TikTok professor because on TikTok, you know how you can like grab another video and duet it, right? So you can reply to one video. You have the old video playing and then the other person sort of responds to it in the same screen. Yes. Like split screen. She will do this with people that are doing sort of COVID misinformation. There'll be someone on TikTok that be like, I heard that the vaccine has, you know, like worm guts in it. And she will hit the duet button and be like, well, no, that's not true. And here's what it has. And she shows like little slides from microscope and she references things, but she's funny. She's clever. I started getting to the point where I always want kept on going back to her. And now she's been going live all the so, time on TikTok live. 
So you're getting all of your COVID information on TikTok is what I'm hearing right <laughs> so, now. Okay, not all. But I realized like I really like her and I really trust her. I've never looked up her actual credentials. Really? <laughs> no, you, not really. <laughs> so all, all this information that you've been telling me is coming from some double PhD on TikTok. <laughs> right, right. I've never really looked it up, but I, I realize I trust her because she seems like she knows what she's doing. But honestly, a lot of it is because she's like friendly and warm. She seems smart. I realized that, like, she's sort of like a social media influencer. Like, she has a lot of people that follow her. But, like, I'm trusting her like I trust, like, a doctor or a professor. And I was like, this is a very weird situation. We are used to sort of seeing, like, your expert, like, I don't know, on TV, on, like, CNN or World News Tonight. You have, like, you know, the the, the head of the yes. CDC or something, the, the Center for Disease Control that, like, shows up there. And maybe they're wearing a white coat. Or you have a professor from Yale that's commenting on a news story, these right. kind of things. And these and are they're, her, And they're wearing a tie. In a tie. And really good, like... Uh, professor glasses. Yes. <laughs> sort of like what you got on. Yeah, I have good professor glasses. <laughs> you do. You're, 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 I shall profess Your now. vibe is pretty professed. But but we're sort of used to seeing experts. And I was thinking, like, where did these experts come from on TV? And then how do I trust this one on TikTok? I guess the way I'd say it is I think technology has created the rise of the expert. And I think technology made the fall of the expert. Agree or disagree? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sure. <laughs> I think there's a lot of reasons that people have started distrusting experts. I think a lot of people are suspicious that they have an agenda. Okay. Yeah. Right, kind of behind right. their research. Yeah. That maybe they're maybe they're funded by an organization. Maybe they're funded by Facebook. Maybe they're funded by a big tech company or big pharma or, you know, whatever. Right. right. And that sort of undermines their whole research project. Yeah. It's like the Exxon. Valdez scientist or something right like oil's good for the fish or yeah, I don't know you know yeah, exactly like <laughs> I can't I can't trust that and I I think more and more we're like what's their agenda they're on this news station or they're on that news station obviously right. they're already biased towards right, a specific right. way of or like of a thinking. political thing in that sense yeah. right, right right and then another aspect is just that we see all of these experts saying seemingly contradictory things yeah. This expert says that this expert disagrees with him and is saying something else. So, like, how can I decide who to trust? Right. And right. in in the end, I mean, there's there's research by experts to suggest that people actually trust their family more than they trust someone like the CDC right. and the directives uh, right. of the CDC. Right, 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 exactly. And like, I kind of relate to that, you know, on some <laughs> oh, level. You're like, shrugging like that's me. Yeah, I would just relate to like. People who are closer to me who have my right. interests in mind, in heart, right? like I trust them because they care about me. Mm -hmm. They know who I am. And so they're going to advise me based on our relationship as much as anything. Right. And so I think, you know, an expert has no relation to me. And so they maybe are just trying to build their own brand as an expert. Et cetera, et cetera. The point is, right. like, there's lots of different reasons that people distrust experts today. Yeah, right. Because they think it's political yeah. or they think it's paid for or whatever. Yeah. Or they don't know that. I mean, those are the three, the three things you sort of said. But I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, a doctor that's treated like a thousand patients or maybe a lot more <laughs> and they say something about patients, I think like you should yeah, probably they, like you, listen you to should, something about you should them. Trust them on some level. <laughs> they, they have some right. degree of credibility I, I would based think, on their experience. But you get so many people that aren't. I know people, I think you also too, people were like, someone texted you and put expert in air quotes, right? Yes. I had a friend and I was, we were talking about sort of this 
disbelief around some of the mainstream media, which is getting abbreviated MSM. (laughs) MSM. Right, right, right. Can't trust the MSM. Right, right. His outlook was that the media is in bed with the Democratic Party and they're each pushing each other and it's all driven by alleged experts. Right. Yeah, it could be really easy to say this is all politics, but I think there's like one, you're seeing people distrust experts on both sides in some ways. But I think you can sort of talk about this as an effect of the way certain technologies came up for it. And the thing I think that you have to start with is the fact that the doctor and professor expert, like we think of them, lab co or the professor glasses, have not existed for that long. Chris, you're saying doctors and professors are a recent development. But as I think about it, universities have been around for hundreds of years. Sure. Oxford comes out in the 1200s or 1100s. Okay, okay. And people have been seeking medical Mm -hmm. treatment for thousands of years. You're saying doctors and professors are a recent development. But who was leading the universities? Who was leading? Who was providing medical care? Right, right. Well, but Oxford's been around, but they didn't have PhDs. PhDs are sort of a early 1900s thing, okay. like, which is a little bit of a shocker. So like, think back to the, the olden days, which is a very technical term. <laughs> <laughs> a very technical term, yes. But let's think pre-enlightenment. Let's think pre the printing press, because you and I talk about the printing press as being a huge technological invention, right? Yeah, it changes right. a lot of things. Before that time, I feel like who's the authorities or the sort of the experts that we look to? I have three words. I have three ideas. One is the elder of your tribe or area, the oldest person, right? Yes, elders. I read a fascinating book called The Memory Code by a woman named Lynn Kelly. She's a Australian researcher, but she has this fascinating bit of research that relates to elders. And it also relates to places like Stonehenge and Easter Island these places she calls memory spaces. Mem- okay. Let's say like the Native Americans or the Inuit or Aboriginal tribes, they transition from being no- nomads to being an agrarian society. They had all this knowledge spread around the land that they would travel and traverse across throughout their seasons, throughout their years. But when they became an agrarian society, they didn't have a way to access that knowledge in the same way. They didn't just remember it in their brains. They actually practically found it in the places around them. And so they created memory spaces like Stonehenge. Oh, interesting. And those memory spaces represented a larger geography, a larger landscape, but it was localized in a smaller space. It was a mental map of the things they knew. Exactly. And I'm getting to the point here with the elders. That knowledge was embedded in the practices and rituals of the elders and young people had to be ushered into increasing levels of knowledge and be allowed into these memory spaces deeper and deeper as they grew older as they proved themselves worthy they gained more and more knowledge and if you think about something like the jewish faith they've got the tabernacle where they practice their rituals and remember the things that god has done and the knowledge that they have from their experiences wandering in the wilderness. But those are the the sort of elder ways of thinking. 
Yeah. So the, the elder, the oldest person is the expert. They right. remember. Right. And they, anyone that wants to learn, I'm young. I've got to learn from the elder. Right. Like, and then have over this time. personal relationship with the elders. Right. Where they're learning and seeing them in a, on a daily basis. The knowledge is even linked but, to age. And you, you walk the stones and tell the story. And then eventually I will walk the stones and tell the story. Yeah. So totally. I love it. So elders, I think two other ideas from that time would be like the priests of the church. Yes. Or the idea of the magician. And by this, I mean, definitely picture Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, oh, like, and I'm not saying like necessarily a real magician, but these ideas of these figures in society who would know things right. that you would look to, right. not the doctor professor that we're talking about now, but the magician, the elder, or the priest. Uh, the priest, I mean, a lot of priests were the only literate people, right, right. in a town or right. a village, and not even all priests in the Middle Ages were literate, right. but most were. They could to read the scriptures, and so they knew things, and that was almost magic. It was very close to magician. Like, they could decode <laughs> the text, the codex yes. or the scroll, right? right? It makes sounds. What is that thing? <laughs> oh, so <laughs> Right. But they had some connection with spiritual realities, unseen realities right, right, that they, right. they had understanding of right. in some form or fashion. Right. Totally. And so we look to them to help explain everything, healing or weather or whatever. So they were the experts, you're saying, prior to the printing press, the priest, the elder, the magician are sort of these experts Correct. in their domains. Yes. They know they have this knowledge of the world that no one else has. Totally. And we look back now, and by the way, I'm trying to do a historical 2D force with no expertise. So that's my theory, <laughs> but you know, it's like trying to slide across. So then you do think of professors, like you, maybe you think of like Leonardo da Vinci, who's right. amazingly talented both at art and at science. Right, kind and, of a polymath, right? Yeah, yeah. These people that are sort of talented at everything. And we sort of think this person was incredible. How do they do, you know, both art and science and all these things? But it sort of goes with how learning worked at the time, because- you didn't learn a subject like here. Now we have a molecular biologist. But right. at the time, if you were an academic at all or studying, you're studying the only books that are available to you, which are handwritten and they're right. stored in the library and they're huge. These things are like thousands of pages and they'd have to, they're like books bound of books. This is how the codices work. Mm. And they don't move. And so, you know, Elizabeth Eisenstein, that professor that writes about how the printing press affected everything later. She's the one that sort of says you had to go to knowledge, you know, like if you wanted to go learn something, you had right. to travel from Paris to Brussels, you know, or right. something, to go read the library there. And right. who did that? Almost nobody. Right. You have to go to the knowledge. It's not coming to you. And so the printing press, of course, changes this and starts, some people say, creates the Enlightenment, creates Galileo and creates these people that start studying science because right. you can start printing this knowledge and spreading it out. Other people can build on each other's knowledge. One person isn't smart enough to know everything, but I can read that person's book and suddenly they can read my publication and you get this back. You also have this happening in the church. You know, Luther writes, hand writes the 95 theses and puts them on the door in Germany and Wittenberg. But what really makes it popular is it gets printed on a pioneer press and that spreads yeah. out. And then other people can create sort of theology and suddenly you have Calvin and Zwingli and all these other theologians talking to each other. Right. So instead of everyone going to the top of the mountain to meet the guru, right. the mountain is sort of melting and all of the knowledge is flowing down away from the mountain to the people at the bottom of the mountain. Really? Or, oh, 
you know, outside of Wittenberg, outside of Rome, outside of Brussels, outside of Paris. Completely. And the church tries to control this, and it starts with the church. This is fun. Do you know where the word doctor came from? Doctorus. <laughs> the Latin. Oh, well, okay. You read, <laughs> I don't know. You read my notes. <laughs> no, I didn't. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's it. It's doctoratus. But it, it meant teacher and instructor, <laughs> but the whole thing was the church used to call the apostles and then the early church fathers doctors. So like Augustine is a church father. Right, right, he's, right. he's the doctor and of the church. And now we still call him the doctors of the church, but it's not a medical doctor, of course. It's just someone that was like really well learned in those things. And like we, mm -hmm. we think of them as theologians now. Right. They but, were the elders, the church fathers, the elders of the church. But this is where PhDs come from. They're doctorate of philosophy, mm. but it's not philosophy in the sense that they studied philosophy. They were doctors of the church. The Pope finally allows it, literally in the Middle Ages, the, he, there's the University of Paris, gets really nerdy, says you guys can also give out these sort of licenses to teach. But it was always theology. Theology was known as the queen of the sciences. <laughs> the first PhDs, like you and I think of them, don't come out to like the 1860s. The first PhD in the United huh. States is at Yale University in 1861. Interesting. Yale beat Harvard to the punch, huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Right, right, <laughs> First right. to market. And actually, you'll like this. The first PhD, the modern PhD in the UK, do you know where it was? I do not. From Durham University. Oh, my alma mater. <laughs> How fascinating. That's great. I didn't know that. Congratulations. I, I'm feeling more like an expert already. <laughs> but you've got that well, master's well, degree well, from from old Durham there. And they were sort of connected to that old way of learning and then eventually changed to the new. Interesting, right? where, yeah. And where we get this specialization, we start publishing these books. You start going, oh, I can just study the planets all day because there's so much to learn now. There's so yep. many books. Yep. I, I can't do like Leonardo da, da Vinci, everything. Uh, I've got to read all this specific subject. And now yeah. you start getting the modern PhD and you've got to research it and you create mm -hmm. the research PhD. Okay. The expert is really a specialist. Kind of this, this modern notion of the expert is one who's a specialist, not a generalist the way da Vinci or Augustine would have been. Right. And I think that's changed by the printing press. Okay. The, the printing press, I just made the whole argument, creates specialization because there's so much to read. So the priest, maybe, who can just read the Bible in the back of the day, becomes the professor later. And then here's where it really gets thing. Have you ever used Google, that thing where you can search for specific words on Google? It shows you when it, that word appeared in books or magazines. Yeah, it traces like the frequency of the word usage. Yes. Right? Google Ngram, it's Ngram. called. Yeah. Why it's called Ngram, I do not know. But <laughs> it's, I, we should I, look it up. Yes. Uh, smart enough to use it, not smart enough to know why it <laughs> means. Yeah. I don't know either. No, it's super fun. I was searching for, this is my whole theory again, I was searching for the phrase expert testimony. Okay. This is not a phrase that happens before essentially the 1880s. Really? And then suddenly appears out of nowhere. The, the 1880s. <laughs> I know. Interesting. Guess what else is happening in the 1880s? electricity uh -huh. and the telegraph 1860s to 1880s you sort of got the whole span there hmm. that's an interesting coincidence do you think there's a correlation to that well there's a communications historian she's named carolyn marvin she talks about electricity and the telegraph being a wonder invention right you know we have tesla Yes, Nikola Tesla. And we have our Marconi, who is another, like, I don't know, Italian electrician guy. <laughs> you know, the Telegraph was so crazy. She describes a newspaper account of this crowd all crowding into this tiny room just to hear a lecture on wireless telegraphy by Marconi, by the... I mean, that sounds fascinating to me. I might snooze through it, but... And this is the era, and you know what also happens? The American Association of Electricians 
gets formed during this time. I know I'm linking all this all together. This is all in the 1880s. This is 1880s to like 1900. Okay. And all this, the electricity helps create this other kind of expert. And what I mean by this is like, when I was a kid, and I was not a kid in the 1880s, but like, bear me out. <laughs> when I was a kid, you, did you have a, a typewriter at home? Yeah, we had a typewriter. Yes, I guess so as a kid. So we had one. I don't like it was like before the electric typewriter, but like it was the kind that you could take the cut. It was probably like, I don't know, Mad Men era or something, but you could take <laughs> the cover off of it. Right. And you could, you know, you press the key and so you could see all the little metal hammers yeah, flying up. all mechanical. When I was a kid, I was so fun. You'd hit R yeah. and it would like, you know, it would slam up against the page. And if you looked really carefully, you're like looking down in there to see what's happening in yeah. there. And there's like, I don't know, a little spring thing and it's like flipping up. And if you hit two keys at once, they jam together and you're like, <laughs> it oh. It had okay. a very, very <laughs> satisfying snap, 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 yeah, snap, yeah. snap, 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 snap. I love it. Kind of Makes me use it a lot. I know like a nerd <laughs> hipsters go buy them just for fun. Yes, right? You know, true. I'm going to write all now my they're paying <laughs> hundreds of dollars for them. <laughs> so like, I loved it. But the cool thing about the typewriter is you could sort of see mechanically what's going on. Right. You could figure it out if you were sort of mechanically inclined. Yeah. Like you could sort of see it. You could visually look at it. Or like a car, you could like a, someone repairing a car, you could sort of see inside that and be like, okay, this, this, belt fell off or something you know more about cars than i do i don't know (laughs) cars do have belts yes but like you can sort of see what's happening like you need training but you could sort of see it yeah right you know like the dad can stop on the side of the road i'm like i'm not a mechanic but i can sort of see this thing and this gear isn't working or something yeah (laughs) but the problem is when electricity comes around this is the start of people going i don't know what's happening right that's super weird this is like almost feels magical it yeah. becomes this black box that you can't see it. Right. It's like it's, invisible. It is. It's invisible, right? And you, I, you can see people get electrocuted yeah. or shocked by it, but you can't really see, how you don't really this, know how that's related to what's going on. Yeah. How is this thing tapping in this room and across the Atlantic, the same thing is tapping? It's like voodoo magic. <laughs> and I think this technology starts creating... You know, this historian says it creates electricians. There are people that only know about this subject. And people start having to turn to the electricians to solve stuff. Now everyone gets electric lighting in their house. And you run these wires and you go like, oh, I need someone else to fix this if it's broken. I don't understand why it happens anymore. It's magic. The magician becomes an electrician. Mm. And they become the new expert because of the telegraph. What do you think of that? So you're saying priests gave way to professors and magicians gave way to electricians. I love the rhyming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. These are sort of how the experts used to be. And then the technology, the printing press, the electricity sort of changes them into something new. Mm. And then I guess we start trusting these experts some and the medical profession happens. I don't know. There's all this stuff in here. But I guess if I'm thinking about it, you get to the nuclear scientists in like the 30s. It's World War II, and this is now getting so invisible and so beyond us. I feel like you don't really get the public expert until CNN, like way up into TV. And my thought here is that you had these news channels that were trying to go out and do news. CNN is the first news channel that in the 80s that was on 24 hours a day. And news wasn't happening 24 hours a day. So they had to have someone say something when the news, when the reporter (laughs) wasn't saying something. Have you ever heard that phrase, like, they send the reporter to the bridge, meaning like, 
the thing already happened at the bridge, but they're like, go out there anyway and stand there. Like the, the event already happened. There's no witnesses to interview. There's no nothing left, but they're going to go stand there on location and do it. It's stupid. It's like for show, right? You know, <laughs> right. like local news does this all the time. They're like, I'm standing on the corner of this and this right, right, right. where three days ago this happened. And you're like, why are you there? <laughs> but like, you have to do it for show. I think cable news, they needed to interview experts. And so now the news for us is you always see a professor from Harvard or a professor from MIT, or you see a doctor or the head of a thing on the news talking about what happened because you need to fill up the time. Right. You're no longer reporting the news. You're analyzing the news or commenting on the news, and you need someone to do that. And the reporter is, could report the news, but now we need someone to analyze the news. And that's where the public expert comes in. Yeah, I think that's where the public expert happens. So the book creates specialized knowledge. The electricity creates the black box. And CNN creates the TV expert. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chris, as you're kind of unpacking this whole idea, some of the things that I'm thinking about are the ways that information is flowing through these technologies. So the printing press is sort of reformatting how information is flowing. The telegraph is reformatting how information yeah, is yeah, flowing. Right. Both information technologies. Yeah. And so the printing press leaves behind the priest and brings in the professor. The telegraph leaves behind the magician and brings in the electrician. Yeah. And we look at the priest and the magician sort of as, you know, these bygone days. They had a certain a relationship to truth and reality that is no longer the way we think about truth and reality. And the professor and the electrician have actually helped us relate to truth and reality in a, in a new, more modern way, or however you want to say yeah, that. they're the scientists, they're the pros. Right, yeah. they're the pros who have the, the clear understanding of, in their narrow space, their narrow field, what that truth of that space is. And now we're living in the post-broadcast internet era, where again, we are experiencing this explosion of information and the, the flow of information is being transformed and turned upside down all over again in the same way that the printing press did, in the same way that the telegraph did. Yeah, yeah. And so will the professor go go the way of the priest? Will the electrician and the computer programmer go the way of the magician? Right. Do we need a new kind of expert who can manage this flow of information? 
Well, yeah, I think we have it. <laughs> Whether it's good or bad, they're called the influencer. Oh, yeah? <laughs> that is scary. <laughs> like, check out this selfie. <laughs> no, but yeah. it's a real thing. Well, okay, tell me what you're going to uh, say. Well, I was going to say, I, I recently learned that the original influencer, sort of the person credit, credited with being the original influencer, do you know who it is? No. Paris Hilton. Oh, yeah, sure. Terrible. I mean, <laughs> is, is, is Paris Hilton the way that we are going towards with with this new information you were talking explosion? about elders earlier and like gathering all of, of the tribe. So now, you're, yeah, there's an explosion of information. So everyone has like sort of reverted to like, how do I get through this? And I can Google for it, but I can I can only I can look at like the first page, you know, <laughs> it's too much. Right. So I revert to my tribe, the people that are sort of somehow how that's defined, who are like me or my friends and family or whatever, to figure out what's good and to figure out what is true. And there's someone in each tribe that's sort of like the ringleader. That's sort of like mm. someone that people turn, maybe not one person, maybe yeah, like multiple yeah, yeah. people. No, I understand what but you're but saying. But you know, like I'm saying, so like, I feel like the influencer sort of replaces the elder in each little tribe as like, this is who you look to, to figure out if that's good. Mm. You know what I'm mm. saying? Mm. I wish I had specific examples, but Paris Hilton <laughs> being one that I've clearly tried to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, maybe my little TikTok docker is like an example of that. Sure. She's like an example of the old doctor scientist sort of thing, but she's actually more of an example of the influencer and a little tribe of people that follow her. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking about the metaphor of surfing the internet. Okay. So if, wow. if, old school. if we use that kind of metaphor, the experts of the past were deep sea divers and they were specialists who went down to the bottom. Right of the sea and they collected samples on that one thing that they know a lot about and right. no one else, you know, up on the surface knows anything about. Yeah. Right. And, right. and they bring it up to the surface and tell us about it. And we're like, okay, that's what the bottom of the ocean is like. Wow. That algae is orange. Cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And today the influencer is the person who surfs across the top of the ocean and sort of provides that narrative that we want or and and they gather the tribe together but they're maybe they're a cruise ship you know maybe they're gathering people on their cruise ship on a cruise ship right (laughs) when we think about influencers today we don't think about them like we think about the elder or the professor who have this deep knowledge we think of them as like maybe a little vapid they kind of have an inch of knowledge but they make sense of what our experience is and that's all we need we don't need the the knowledge from the bottom of the ocean we just need someone to help us navigate the top of the water yeah and that's the influencer i get that like that that we think of like when i say social media influencer and they're just (laughs) they have a co-branded thing with a pair of jeans you know but but i'm also but there's more than that yeah i guess i'm talking about i want to use that word for not just the sort of the pop culture influencer but also the little the other little tribes maybe certain politicians when they do well they become an influencer in their sphere like the elizabeth warren who was all about like consumers deserve their day, you know, and so yeah. like consumer protection and like people are like, we're, yes, we're all about that. So now anything she says on any topic is important. That's yeah, how yeah, politicians yeah. get yeah. traction. I also think about people like Joe Rogan. Yeah. Or right, Jordan right. Peterson. So like really famous podcaster has over a million listeners, has a real smattering of what si- experts are be like, that's COVID misinformation, but then right. other times it won't be. But lots of people listen to him. Right. Right. And there's this. And there's the millions that listen to us. <laughs> right, 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 right. Thank you to all the millions. <laughs> us being influencers that we are. <laughs> Yeah, but these influencers that are sort of their quote-unquote experts, I don't think people will call them an expert, 
but they listen to them like mm. like we used to listen to people in doctor's coats. Yeah. As I think about the influencers, I'm also thinking about this concept of authenticity. Okay. And we really value authenticity. The TikTok influencer that you mentioned, this the science influencer, like there's a sense in which you have you just have a sense of her authenticity that draws you in, right? Yeah, seriously. And right. you appreciate sort of her sense of presentation that seems to be reflective of her actual self. And I think right. e even someone like Joe Rogan conveys a sense of authenticity to his audience. And people say he's upfront about his biases. He's upfront about his, yeah, sure, right. his prejudices or the ways that he's looking at the world. And so what you see is what you get. I yeah. feel like I can trust what I'm seeing when I get Joe Rogan or when I get this TikTok influencer. Yeah, because they're not being like professional in their language. They're actually being casual, but genuine. Right. Is that right? Right. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think so. And I think it retrieves something from the elder, from the priest, from the magician in the sense that I had a personal relationship with the elder. I had a personal relationship with the priest to a degree that I could see the elder having a vested interest in the knowledge that they're conveying. They have a vested interest that what they're saying is true, and the truth of that knowledge is affecting them as much as it's affecting me. And I have because I have a personal relationship with them, I can trust them. Yeah, but people feel like they have a personal relationship with the influencer. Exactly. It retrieves that feeling of personal yes. connection, yeah, yeah. even if that connection isn't in reality there. And that's the technology, because like a podcast, one of the reasons people like podcasts is because they feel a little bit intimate. Like your audio is pretty close. Yeah. You're listening to it privately a lot of times and people feel like they're right next to the conversation. Even TikTok, it's a different medium, but a lot of times they're looking straight into a camera. Mm -hmm. It's and, one person typically, maybe two. And you're not trying to do high production like this woman that I'm talking about that I like to watch. She's like in this like, it just looks like a back office. Like there's like an Ikea shelf behind her. Yeah. She's not wearing a lab coat. She's not trying to look professional. Right. She'll make a joke by like, oh, my hair fell down. I got to put this up. So <laughs> it feels very intimate. It feels like I know her. Yeah. And so what you're saying is like, I trust her relationally, even though she doesn't know who the heck I am. Yeah. And it, like it goes one way, but it still is like that family, yeah. elder relationship sort of feels like that. Right. And, and the Joe Rogan podcast is hours long typically unedited. That's right. Yeah, and yeah. and there's a there's typically a video with it. It'll run for hours, but it's I mean, I edit you just so you know that. No, I edit <laughs> you a lot too. So but you you understand my point. Yeah, yeah. There's this sense of I'm getting an uncut version of reality. It's not packed into a 30 minute reporting presentation or news report. I think to me that that conveys one of the things that's at the heart of the fall of the expert. Just like with the electrician, there's this invisibility that I can no longer authenticate with my own experience. I can no longer sense what's happening with my eyes and ears and wait, wait, touch. Okay. Well, finish your, finish this so, because I want to disagree with that. <laughs> thank <laughs> Maybe. you. In a mediated environment like the internet, I can't authenticate what's going on with my eyes, ears, and touch in the same way that I could with the elder, in the same way that I could with the priest. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I think people think they can validate it personally. I think more the CNN era, that was the era where you had sort of the disembodied doctor on the television saying very authoritatively, and we trust that. That's coming from a central authority, and the TikToks of the world sort of broke this down. It created these tribes. You're saying the information overload. Now I think people do think they can interact with it. Because like on TikTok, for instance, people comment back live while the person's on live. It feels like it has that relational sort of connection. And in that case, I'm trusting that tribal influencer, but I'm trusting myself. Yes. They have to be able to perceive what's going on and they have to be able to trust their perception. They have to be able to trust their sensory input. Right. Yeah. I just think that even though they're not, they're feeling like they're right there. This is why you have, you know, Jordan Peterson on The Daily Show going out to these anti-vax rallies and he asks them these questions about the vaccine. They're like, there are thousands of people that have died of the vaccine and no one's died from COVID. And he goes, how do you know that? And they're saying it with the certainty of like they've seen it. But but they read it. They, they got it from one of their influencers. Right. But they didn't actually see it. They feel like they saw it, but they have that mental and emotional certainty of like they were there. As people grapple with whether or not they can trust their sight and sound, whether they trust the flood of information. I was looking at this one poll, the Edelman Trust Barometer. It's a poll they do like every year. They've done it for years. The general public actually still, when you ask them, they say that they do find experts fairly credible. So there's a fairly high percentage of people that are like, I trust an expert. Right. In fact, like scientists and doctors, they say currently they still are more credible than CEOs, more credible than celebrities or government officials. But Survey respondents rank another category of person as nearly as credible as experts. You know what it was? (laughs) Who? Nearly as credible was a person like yourself. (laughs) So basically yourself. Yeah. I trust myself as much as I trust an expert. I laughed when I read that. That's what it is. People are so not sure in some places. They don't even want to trust the, the doctor or the scientist at this point. They're like, well, I trust me to parse this out. Even if I have never been to the bottom of the ocean, mm. there's got to be a Christian ethical <laughs> approach to that, Adam, with thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be. You're right. <laughs> you know, as I've thought about the Christian relationship to information, like Ooh, okay. what, what should a Christian relationship to information look like? Okay, let's go. First, I go to the garden and I think about Eve and Eve is told and believes that if she eats from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that she will surely die. Yeah. Yes. And then she's provided alternative information and alternative interpretation, which is ultimately disinformation from a snake. And he provides her with an alternative interpretation of what would happen if she ate from the tree. Interesting. It's all in a desire to be like God to know the difference between good and evil herself. And so she she takes the fruit and she has this explosion of knowledge. It's an information explosion. And she she learns what the difference is between good and evil. But in that experience, she's suddenly struggling to find her place to navigate that information and find a way through, what's my identity now that I know this? What do I do now that I know this? A friend on Twitter recently shared... And I think this epitomizes this sort of fallen way of looking at the world. He shared Ecclesiastes 118, to increase knowledge only increases sorrow. 
the greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. I feel like that epitomizes Eve's experience, right? Hmm. And here she's seeking hmm. this knowledge. She's seeking to trust her own sensory experience. And as a result, there's all this heartache. And we continue to kind of bear that heartache. The last thing I'll say is in Colossians, we're sort of given a solution to that problem. Colossians 2, 3 says, In him, in Jesus, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And later on, it says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking. Instead, in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ. And so this challenge of navigating wisdom and knowledge as a Christian, navigating the sorrow and grief that come from having that wisdom and knowledge comes through our union with Jesus. It's only when we find ourselves in relation to him that we can ultimately navigate who we are, what our community is, and what we're supposed to do with all the information explosions that we're encountering, whether it's in the garden or the printing press or the telegraph or the internet. The passage about wisdom and knowledge is with Jesus and then don't get caught up sort of in high-minded philosophies. And I really like it. I also was taught that when I was young, or I at least absorbed it when I was young, almost as a way of thinking like all knowledge that isn't in the Bible is not good. Sure. Yeah, you know, so. so all like professors and doctors are actually the ones you don't trust. You only right, trust right. your preacher, for yeah. instance. It, I don't think you're saying that. Yeah, I'm not saying that. It's not. It. Yeah. There's also the first Timothy passage that says, you know, the Bible contains everything for life and godliness. Sure. Right. Right. And right. Yeah. I think those verses can be weaponized and used that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Like almost against all other knowledge. So therefore, the experts are definitely wrong. <laughs> And of course, I want to say that these things can be integrated in the sense that God is the one that made the world. And if we're someone studying things that are true, that we're going to be able to integrate these things about what God reveals to us. Right. And what we find in his creation, both in people and sort of nature. Right. And I would say in Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, not in the Bible are all the treasures of yeah. wisdom and knowledge. Yeah, I know. That's, that's good because that's really pointing us better to like, I think, what is meant. I love the Eve stuff. That's really good because the other information explosion she had. Yes, yes. <laughs> because she's trying to survive in that. And the sin of that was not knowing things. It was grasping to know everything, which the God who made us knows that we actually couldn't do. It's not possible for the human to do that. Right. Trying to be Godness right. is the thing that actually overwhelms us. And all we can become is little despots if we want to pretend that we are. Right. So linking ourselves as we try to do our best of figuring out which influencer, how to sort through experts, linking ourselves to a proper humility, a mm -hmm. proper humility and a proper dependence is the Christian ethical approach to information, which says, I can know, but I also have a proper humility to know that I don't know all. And it, it forces us into a posture of trust. And that was the failure for Eve and Adam was that they failed to trust God for the knowledge that he had to guide them through the things that they didn't know. And just like a child with a parent, we need to be able to trust God to guide us for the things that we don't know and give us enough knowledge and insight to navigate the things that we do. And part of that includes trusting experts. And that's why trust is such a big deal when we think about expertise and we think about the internet. We're, we're trying to figure out who do I trust? 
It actually makes me remember I did a short circuit episode on this, like like uh, like last year. <laughs> yeah, I used the word epistemology, spiritual epistemology. <laughs> but I was talking about trust and how we can't really live unless we actually trust something. Mm. It's impossible to do that because we're not God. So we're hitting that exact same idea. Mm-hmm. Do you buy that? technologies are the things that sort of created the idea of experts in our head and then now have sort of created all the problems. Oh, I blame technology for everything. Yeah, I I can definitely see a relationship between technology and the rise and the fall of the expert. Okay, Adam, it's time for, you guessed it, vice or virtue. And today's vice or virtue is uh, everybody's favorite textile technology. The doctor's coat. <laughs> I mean, the uh, white, you know, the white, the white line. lab coat. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're coming to take us away. Ha, yes. they're coming to take us away. <laughs> oh, he the funny part. I just think of that because the Animaniacs, when they sing that, are wearing doctor's coats. <laughs> oh, man. Animaniacs. Animaniacs was a fantastic show. It was so snarky. and Or, you know, what House is wearing on TV <laughs> yes, and the doctor's yes, show. Yes. They're the symbol of authoritative experts. That's right. So that's- <laughs> I, I, I wrote an article a little bit about this years ago. There's something called enclosed cognition. How you think based on the things that you wear. And they did this research where people put on this white jacket and they said they either told people it was a doctor's jacket or it was a painter's coat. Okay, And and then they they gave them a test. As you can imagine, if they were told it was a doctor's jacket, they performed better on the test, right? (laughs) Okay. So obviously it's a virtue. They became more of an expert. (laughs) Just association. Isn't that fascinating? That is fascinating. It was a painter's coat. They became more like Bob Ross. (laughs) Happy accidents. Pretty clouds. Happy trees. (laughs) I'm going to say one of the vocations that I always thought I could never do is, yeah. is a doctor. I like, you know, I like man. reading everything. I like yeah. the blood, man. Do not really like it. do not like the needles. They, I have passed out three times when they tried to give blood. No kidding. Yeah. Really? They've had to use the smelling salts on me. Have I <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. I did not Those things know are that. crazy. That's a technology. They stick that thing up like it's like some sort of intense ammonia by your nose. And you're, it's oh, like a man. little hand reaches up your nose and shakes your brain. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, man. But like doctor's codes, I think, are supposed to like in theory be able to show blood or dirt very easily so you can stay clean. Oh, that yeah. was all the whole white thing. So as soon as I think of it, I think of blood and I think, mm. no, that's a total oh. vice. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Reaching well, up your nose and shaking you. That is not a pleasant <laughs> thought. If there's an expert on doctor's coats, they can reach out maybe to us and tell us <laughs> whether we're wrong. <laughs> but I don't know if I proved anything with my whole thing here, but thanks for listening and trying to poke at it with me. Yeah, you're welcome. This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan podcast, where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan discuss everything from simple acts of kindness to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.